Eyes cool. 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 You are listening to the Eyes Cool podcast. It's called that because Eyes Cool sounds like Eyes Cool. The Eyes Cool podcast is a production of students and faculty at the Information School and the Center for the History of Print and Digital Culture at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Eyes Cool or of the UW-Madison. I'm your host at the top of the episodes, Jonathan Senchin, a professor at the iSchool and also director of the CHPDC. You can find this podcast and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and recommend us to your friends. This is the end of season two of the iSchool podcast. All season long, we've been exploring genre, specifically genres for adult readers, as a part of our collective work together in the class called Reading Interests of Adults in our Masters of Library and Information Studies program. You can scroll back in the feed and find episodes in Season 2 on romance, true crime, mystery, and fantasy. Today, we'll close out Season 2 by exploring science fiction. A program note. You'll hear what sounds like people meeting together in person to record this podcast, and you'll be right. That's because audio for this podcast episode was recorded before the spread of COVID-19 in the United States, back when our class and podcast groups were able to meet in person, before social distancing protocols were in place and all in-person meetings canceled like science fiction, perhaps it is a message from what now seems like another world. And now, our science fiction podcast team. My name is Alex Scharfman. For this segment, I'll be interviewing my colleague, David. We'll be talking about what science fiction is, what it has been, and what it does. And we'll conclude with some questions about what David is reading now and what he recommends. So David, I know you're both a fan of the genre and something of a scholar of it. To begin with, can you provide us a definition um, of science fiction we can work with for the rest of the podcast? Uh, Sure. It's actually a little bit hard to explain on account of the fact that it can cover a broad range of topics, but arguably the easiest way to explain it would be to, say, taking the familiar and making it somehow unfamiliar. This could be uh, scientific concepts or real-life events and somehow dramatizing them, fictionalizing them in a way that explores their full their full potential, if you will. Yeah, that sounds pretty much what I was kind of thinking, um, thinking about when I think about science fiction that I've read. Can you tell me a little bit about the history of science fiction? When and where did it start and how has it progressed over the years? The first thing you gotta know about science fiction is that its deepest roots are arguably as old as mythology and folklore. You have things like Arabian Nights, who who describe situations that involve mechanical birds, or the Greek god Hephaestus, who was supposedly assisted by mechanical beings. These concepts were undoubtedly 
fiction by today's standards on account of the fact that there was nothing that they could actually compare these two or very little and very few objects of the of the ancient world posed any sort of similarity to what was described in these old stories but they did sort of lay the groundwork because there was such a thing as mechanical energy there were levers and machines and whatnot but it wasn't until the 1800s that things really started to take off new technologies involving electricity steam power that brought on what was called proto-science fiction, a sort of combination of realistic-style literature and scientific phenomenon. Uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is actually a pretty good example of that. It emerges galvanic energy, electricity in other words, with gothic horror that was popular at the time. The novum, or new, new thing, the taking of this familiar and making it unfamiliar, as I said as I said before, is the idea of, of combining this new technology with a dead body and then using it to create a living being, Frankenstein's monster. Two other important writers from this era were H.G. Wells and Jules Verne. Wells was very much all about taking the scientific phenomena and extrapolating on them, trying to find a way to define them, express them, like the sort of environment that could have produced the Martians in his War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds novels, or the genetic, genetic engineering involved in the island of Dr. Moreau. Jules Verne, on the other hand, was more for the adventure. He would take the science and make a story out of it. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, for example, Verne didn't understand the process of uh, nuclear power, but that was effectively what was needed in order to create a submarine capable of going down to 20,000 leagues under the water and sustain a population of men who lived and worked under the sea. The next big stage in science fiction was pulp science fiction, the sort of thing that grew up in the 20s, in the 20s up until the 50s, where you had cheap paper, and it basically brought science fiction to the forefront, if you will. It made it so that people actually knew about science fiction. Most people knew about science fiction, not just the people who could afford the really big books like Verne. One of the main players in this was Hugo Gernsback, who created a magazine called Ama Amazing Stories. Founded in 1926, it was filled with short stories and serials written by various authors, and Gernsback himself dubbed the genre scientifiction at the time. Some of the writers that were included in this were Verne, Wells, H.P. Lovecraft, and the first feature-length film of Pulp Fiction was the 1927 silent film Metropolis. From there, we move into the Golden Age, starting around the 30s and moving into the 50s. Here we have classics such as Isaac Asimov with his iRobot, or Arthur C. Clarke in 2001 A Space Odyssey. I recently read Robert A. Heinlein's Starship Troopers, which was written this time. Basically, this is the sort of thing where sensationalism really takes off with its thing. You get this mix of possible scientific concepts and phenomenon with what is called hard science fiction. Basically stuff that's actually grounded in real-life science. Well, science or science theory, I should say. And faster than light travel is still something we're not capable of, but the theory is there. The fourth main era of science fiction was New Wave. This started around the 60s with the, with the launching of Sputnik and then the moon landings. Here's where people really started to grab a hold of science fiction and uh, take off with it, if you will. At this point, it was all about capitalizing on new literature and turning it into mainstream. So you had people like Michael Moorcock, Moorcock and his New Worlds. You had 
Harlan Ellison in Dangerous Visions. It brought on an international rec- recognition and a stylistic, inventive nature of science fiction that actually made it into a recognized literary genre. Finally, you have the digital age. After the 60s, you have the, you have the rise of computer technology, eventually the internet. It basically takes the phenomena, the adventure of science fiction, mixes it with digital technology, and creates the, and creates the genre commonly referred to as cyberpunk. So here you get stuff like Blade Runner or Acura, and it tends to form a lot of the modern science fiction. So the history you mention, it involves, uh, it sounds like a lot of subgenres and a lot of moving parts. We're going to talk a little bit more later on about subgenre, um, but you also mentioned some of the giants of the field, uh, maybe people who some readers will recognize, like Jules Verne or um, Isaac Asimov, but there are some others that you mentioned. Um, I wonder if you could tell me who are some of the giants of the genre and what has been their impact both um, in the content and in their style. Things get a little bit uh, hairy here, you might say. As I said, there was H.P. Lovecraft, Jules Verne, and so on and so forth. But even going as far back as the 16th century, you had Sir Thomas More, who wrote the, I guess you could say, experimental piece, Utopia. For him, it was the creation of an island idyllic society. But the term itself has since kind of been known basically as a perfect world, a perfect society, what have you. And while Thomas More himself may not necessarily have been a science fiction writer, it has inspired a lot of sci-fi writers since. People have wanted to try to create their own version of an, I- of an idyllic society and what the implications thereof are. There is also Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, author of Sir Sherlock Holmes. You really can't forget about the importance of the pulp fiction editors and magazine creators of the time. If not for them, science fiction almost certainly will have, re- will have remained a, a sort of a backseat to the mainstream literature. Like I said before, a very, po- a very popular thing around the time of Frankenstein and Jules Verne was realism, which basically means that whatever was written, whatever was depicted in art, somehow had to reflect real life, either in its full or even an exaggerated version of itself. Thanks to guys like Asimov, Clark, uh, Verne, Wells, they really helped combine that realistic aspect with the scientific uh, advancements of the day, or even the advancements, the theories, and create stories that reflected all that, the exploration into this unknown universe. Totally. So as we've been talking about the science fiction genre, um, we've mentioned a little bit obliquely um, some external factors that have influenced the genre, uh, some scientific discoveries or inventions like the internet. Um, I'm wondering if you could say a little bit more explicitly what some of the external factors that have developed or that have impacted the development of science fiction um, have been, and those could be either scientific or technological or even cultural. The uh, science has obviously, has obviously been a huge factor. You have things like steam turbines, telescopes, barometers, air pumps, even concepts like, like gravity and atmosphere. If not for much of that stuff, many of these writers probably never will come up with anything like this. But there's always also been a socio-political aspect. I mentioned before the first pulp science fiction feature-length movie was Metropolis. I had the chance to see that movie not long ago. It very much reflects what could easily be considered a combination of the social aspects of the day. I watched that and a lot of it struck me as being very Marxist. You had the idea of the upper class, the bourgeoisie, and then you had the proletariat lower classes. 
The one works for the other, the other gets rich, barely has to do anything for himself, until eventually the lower classes finally get fed up with the idea with the idea that they're not getting the fruits of their labor and start a rebellion. That's just one thing. I mean, over the course of the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and 80s, the Cold War was in full swing. So you had the proxy wars, you had the politics, and you had the propaganda. Robert Heinlein's books, The Puppet Masters and Starship Troopers, will have largely been inspired by, many, by much of the sociopolitical atmosphere of the time. The man himself was very much a supporter of militarism. A fact that was plainly obvious throughout the course of Starship Troopers, it went on and on about how only veterans were allowed to vote. Only veterans were allowed to hold public office. Only veterans who actually put in the time, the effort, and have the will to actually do what's right for their people. The Puppet Masters constantly com compares one alien race to the communist regime of, of the Soviet Union. That's just a couple of examples. Science fiction has pretty much always had something to do with reality in terms of either seeking an ideal an ideal society, fearing what an ideal society could bring, or just exploring the unknown the unknown universes of science and uh, where that can lead you. Yeah, I think that answers a lot of questions that I had about uh, the political and ideological projects that a lot of science fiction is engaged in and um, that a lot of science fiction speaks to. Um, to different readers who are who find themselves in different socio-political situations. I'd like to turn now to your role as a reader of science fiction. Um, what kinds of science fiction do you prefer? I prefer more the adventure. Like I said before, there is the hard science fiction, which is really grounded in scientific concepts and theories. That's all well and good, I'll admit, and it does offer that way to sort of embed yourself in the story. But at the same time, I'm not really a scientist of any of any caliber, so I prefer something that actually tells a story that has has an end goal in mind, if you will. Like the old Star Wars trilogy is an obvious example, but I also didn't mind the Planet of the Apes or some of the, or some of Jules Verne's things. I actually read The War of the Worlds, and whilst I could appreciate the story, it was also very much hard science fiction. The man went into great detail about how. Martian society is probably so much more advanced than ours that they've actually basically killed their planet, exploited all of its resources, its atmosphere. So they had to come to us in order to try to replenish themselves and get and keep their society up and moving. But he also went into great depth about what their biology could be like because Mars probably has a lower oxygen content and a lower gravity. Therefore, when they landed here, they shouldn't have been able to move around because the gravity will have been too much for them. But all that extra oxygen will have helped them to compensate for it. A good book, I'll grant, but I prefer some of the movies and some of the adaptations that have come from it instead. Yeah, it's so interesting to hear a reader um, speak to what makes a good um, artifact of science fiction, if you will. Um, I'm wondering what you're reading now in science fiction. Some of my more recent readings have included things like time travel uh, and uh, people being shot off to other worlds. The uh, Ring of Fire series by Eric Flint, with collaborations from other authors, is actually one of my favorite. It's actually one of my favorite series. Basically, this West Virginia coal mining town, through a cosmic accident, gets shot back to 1631 Germany, right smack in the middle of the Thirty Years' War. And the whole series beyond that point is all about the implications for how they've been, for how they, 
how their presence there has changed history. Everything from technology to politics, even social outlooks under different situations. The entire map of Europe is basically redrawn in the span of in the span of two or three books. There's also this uh, kind of a kooky series that I started reading a little while ago uh, called the Magitech Chronicles. That is a science fantasy series. Tell me, have you ever heard that saying any sig significantly advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic? I don't think I have. Basically, in this case, the magic is the technology. If you're at all familiar with Dungeons & Dragons, this is basically it, but in space. So you have dragons literally flying around space, shooting fireballs and whatnot at spaceships, who in turn are shooting counterspells at the dragons. And that's kind of on a normal day, without even going into the details. Yeah, that definitely sounds like a normal day. <laughs> uh, let's imagine ourselves in a little bit of a reader's advisory situation. How would you help someone new to the genre choose something interesting, and what questions would you ask and maybe what are even some favorites you might recommend? If I were a reference librarian going through the reference interview, the first thing I'd have to do is ask where their interests lie. Are they heavy into science? Are they heavy into, so into society? Do they prefer something where the science is actually ambiguous to fantasy? If you're like me and you're really into history more than anything, then I would definitely recommend the Ring of Fire series. Or possibly any number of other time travel stories like Doctor Who or something. And for me, it's all about the implications of the history, if you're going to do a time travel thing. On the other hand, if you want something a little more traditional, like a space opera, any number of the Star Wars books would probably be a good place to start. Maybe you wanted to get into Star Trek. I'd say it really depends on what you, on where your interests really lie. I mean, if you're, if you're into teen fiction, there's any number of dystopias out there that are all science, science fiction based. It will be a great place to look. Yeah, totally. So just to finish up, um, if people want to know more about science fiction, how can they learn more about the genre? Well, I'd say look for blogs. For example, there's this guy called Dirk Strasser that I found that I found recently who posted an article a couple of years back regarding uh, four of the current trends in science fiction. For him, it was climate fiction, new space opera, generational shift, and gender-focused. He's just one possible example, but... I'd say start by look, start by going to Google, look for blogs on scientific science fiction trends, and see where it takes you. That's really helpful, David, and thank you so much for this fascinating interview. Thank you. Hi, this is Tom, and I'm going to take a look at some of the subgenres in science fiction. Uh, David touched on some of the brief distinctions of hard sci-fi versus soft sci-fi. And most science fiction subgenres will occur within that spectrum. Uh, nested within these two broad categories, subgenres of science fiction can be identified based on a number of characteristics. Science fiction novels often blend genres and are difficult to classify. The genre blending in science fiction reinforces the importance of using appeal to describe individual works without trying to cleanly classify works into subgenres. The subgenres are often characterized by theme, setting, action, and time. So if we look at one large grouping of subgenres, that's space operas and military space westerns and other just kind of epic uh, battles that take place in space. Um, space opera as a subgenre features heavy action and adventure. 
These books often contain epic battles that occur deep in space and position heroic and just humans in opposition to other humans or aliens. The subgenre is action-based and explores concepts of good and evil and the politics of war. Technology in these books is often not explained for readers and may contain implausible explanations. David Weber's series Honor Harrington is consistent with the space opera subgenre and details the struggles of an outdated spaceship in securing a star system. A related subgenre is military science fiction. Opposing armies often face off either in created worlds or deep in space. This subgenre is differentiated from space opera by more detailed battle descriptions. The battles often feature humans fighting aliens or different species of aliens at war. The advanced weaponry and attack strategies in military science fiction are often used to analyze the ethics of war and mismatched forces. Heroes often demonstrate valor that contrasts with the greed of the opposing force. Additionally, humans often fight in alliances with aliens. Uh, John Scalzi's Old Man's War is representative of the subgenre. This series details war with aliens over control of scarce livable planets. The next grouping of subgenres is apocalypse and post-apocalyptic novels. These subgenres imagine a deteriorating earth and societal collapse. This group includes the subgenres for works that are characterized as apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic, and dystopian. Novels in the subgenre of apocalyptic science fiction focus on an event that disrupts earth and produces societal collapse. These works often begin in a normal and functioning earth that is suddenly thrown into chaos by an event. The causes for uh, the apocalypses are wide-ranging and often introduce elements of other subgenres. These events include nuclear holocaust, alien invasion, asteroids, biochemical warfare, plagues, and ecological collapse. While these events are generally sudden and unexpected, some are incremental and predictable, like apocalyptic environmental collapse. The subgenre of post-apocalyptic science fiction offers portrayals of the aftermath of an event and the resulting collapse of society. These novels explore the struggle for survival in the wake of the apocalypse, a breakdown of social protections, challenges basic human conceptions of morality and trust. Humans are often in competition for scarce resources, and this results in violence and betrayal. Cormac McCarthy's The Road is an example of a popular novel in the subgenre. A father and son navigate the dangers, violence, and uncertainty of a post-apocalyptic world. Other post-apocalyptic science fiction analyzes a society that has been rebuilt out of the chaos of the apocalypse. This subgenre of dystopian science fiction usually portrays the, the rebuilt society as operating under the control of corrupt and tyrannical leadership. However, many dystopian novels blend genres and do not necessarily occur after a cataclysm. These dystopian novels often feature the rise of power of an evil corporation in conflict with a resistance group. Other dystopian novels feature competitive battle royales like Stephen King's The Running Man or The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins. Other dystopian novels portray the effects of overreaching governmental control like Orwell's 1984. Another grouping of subgenres in science fiction explores concepts related to time. The time travel subgenre considers the impact and consequences that the travel into the past will have on the present. 
Time travel novels often feature characters traveling into the past to solve a mystery, stop an event from occurring, or gain an advantage through investment. These novels frequently explore unanticipated effects produced in new timelines. Jody Taylor's The Chronicles of St. Mary's is a popular series in the time travel genre that provides action around unsolved mysteries of history and the perils of time travel. Alternate universe and alternate history novels represent another popular subgenre in science fiction. These novels portray a present where formative moments in history unfolded differently. Alternate history novels are set in a timeline that has always existed and is not the result of time travel. Harry Turtle Dove's Bombs Away is representative of the, of the subgenre and describes an alternate history where escalating tensions between the U.S. and Soviet Union resulted in a hot war. Parallel universes are also explored through perspectives that are considered to be hard science fiction. These novels make use of quantum mechanics and quantum physics and the existence of multiple simultaneous timelines for events. The physicist John Kramer is a popular author in this subgenre with works that include Einstein's Bridge and Twister. One last subgenre related to alternate histories is steampunk. These works take place during the historical period when steam-powered technologies were prevalent. These novels generally occur in the 19th century and depict social conventions of Victorian England. Fans of this subgenre are drawn to the craftsmanship of, of the era that has been lost in contemporary manufacturing. These works feature intricately crafted steam-powered vehicles like airships that are used to transport adventurers. This subgenre includes the deliberate use of anachronisms like computer systems. Kenneth Opal's Airborne Trilogy is representative of the genre. Opal describes transcontinental adventures on airships powered by hydrium gas and features clashes with uh, sky pirates. Another popular group of subgenres looks at the relationship between humanity and science. These subgenres explore ethical considerations surrounding sophisticated technologies like human gene editing, cloning, and artificial intelligence. Cyberpunk is a popular subgenre in this category that features characters that are fused with technology that elevates their capabilities. The fusion with technology is achieved through different mechanisms like artificial in intelligence, nanotechnology, and virtual reality systems that control advanced robotics. These novels often elevate characters that are naturally unimposing to a heightened social standing due to their intelligence. The settings are often highly urban and anarchic. William Gibson's Neuromancer is regarded as a classic in cyberpunk. In the novel, a renowned hacker is ejected from cyberspace after breaching the data of an unknown group. The story follows Case after he is recruited by an en enigmatic employer to take down a dangerous new artificial intelligence. Biopunk explores similar concepts, but the subgenre is distinguished by modifications to the human body through cybernetics technological implants, and gene editing. Biopunk often features ethical considerations with religious parallels. This subgenre is oriented around technologies that result in physical improvements, while cyberpunk focuses on mental capacities. One final grouping of subgenres is the alien category, and this is one of the most ubiquitous groupings of subgenres. Aliens are featured prominently in science fiction, and this category is frequently combined with other genres. The grouping of alien subgenres is generally understood by fans outside of science fiction community. Alien invasion as a subgenre features war, colonization, enslavement, or resource harvesting. 
The other major alien subgenre is First Contact and explores the emotions of uncertainty, excitement, and confusion and terror. The last thing we'd like to leave you with are a couple ways you can get in touch with some books that might be good for potential patrons or for yourself. One way to check out um, new books in science fiction is to look at awards. There are a couple of awards that provide a source to turn to when providing suggestions for readers and selecting materials to add to collections. The Nebula Awards are voted on annually by the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America. The nonprofit is comprised of around 1,500 science fiction writers. The awards cover a number of categories and also lists of finalists across the categories that are good sources, sources of recommendations. The Hugo Award is the most coveted and prestigious award for science fiction writers. Members of the World Science Fiction Society vote annually on awards that cover a number of categories in both science fiction and fantasy. There are 15 categories of awards, and winners are selected from groups of six finalists. Here are a couple other resources you might want to check out on the web. LocusMag.com. Locus is a resource that provides news and reviews for science fiction readers. Locus offers free online content in a subscription magazine. The resource features informative content on the genre and provides fans with reading lists, author interviews, and commentary. There's also WorldsWithoutEnd.com. Worlds Without End also offers resources on the genre. The site connects fans of the genre to podcasts, clubs, and conventions. Users can easily find book reviews, award winners, and curated reading lists. Subgenres are broken down extensively for readers that have specific interests. Thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of the Eyes Cool podcast devoted to the science fiction genre. We hope you found it informative and maybe gave you some ideas for new books to check out. On behalf of David, Tom, our producer Hannah and myself, thanks for listening.